Hey everyone, my name is Kyla. Welcome to my channel where I talk about the stock market and the economy amongst other things. This is not an everything that you need to know piece. This is talking about the Federal Reserve, talking about Web3, the interconnectedness between the two, and how they're both telling a narrative. The end goal is just to talk about what the Federal Reserve is doing, why they're doing what they're doing, how Web3 slash crypto fits into that narrative, why the markets are responding the way that they're responding, and maybe a little bit of outlook for the months ahead. The Fed came out last week and they were like, hey, we're going to be zooming. We're going to be zooming really fast <laughs> and we're going to to shrink the balance sheet faster than expected, maybe even four rate hikes this year, some quantitative tightening a lot faster than the market expected. For context, it was back in June, the Fed was like, we don't see us raising rates anytime in 2022. And now we're getting to the point where they're talking about raising rates four times. There's been a huge accelerant in monetary policy and a huge accelerant in how markets see that and what markets see for their future. That's what I'm going to talk about. So getting right into it, there's a really good quote from E.O. Wilson that says, the real problem of humanity is the following. We have paleolithic emotions medieval institutions and godlike technology and it is terrifically dangerous and is now approaching a point of crisis overall basically he's like everybody's really emotional and you need to chill out a little bit and i think this is true <laughs> the federal reserve and web3 are basically telling us narratives they're both like hey one day this thing will happen but you should believe in it right now because it's gonna happen one day might as well get in front of the train markets are forward-looking but they often price back to current expectations and this is because we largely live in a world based on narratives in the financial system there's a lot of different narratives out there, so deflation versus inflation, scaling versus security versus decentralization and crypto, that trilemma, investing versus stock picking, optimism versus pessimism, everything kind of boils down to a reason of being, like why are we doing what we're doing? And in a bull run, it's a lot easier to have a reason of being be your valuation. In a bear market, it's kind of like, okay, we do need to see some cash flows, but when everything goes up, all you need to do is say, it'll go up forever, and then people will give you money. Like that's, <laughs> that's kind of the thesis of a lot of different crypto companies, a lot of different tech companies right now is that hey just give us some time and we'll figure this out. And narratives have a few core components. They have narrative creation, narrative interpretation, narrative resistance, and then narrative disruption. Everything starts off in a creation phase where it's like okay we're going to invent this thing now, we're going to start talking about this thing now, what does it mean and why? And then it's interpreted and it usually faces an element of resistance because that's what humans do is we resist things that happen. Then it gets disrupted eventually on a very long time frame because eventually that thing no longer works. As an example think of Web 2. So that's companies like Facebook, WordPress, etc. So companies that are like, you know, 2005 to now-ish, I guess, kind of those um, old school web companies. Those companies were founded on this idea of, you know, get everyone connected. And slowly that narrative evolved into the, these tech conglomerates that are basically harvesting our souls for data. They're selling those data to advertising agencies and making billions off of it. And we don't see a penny of it. Now, the disruption of the narrative is that Web3 is going to come in and sort of disrupt that profit-seeking model that a lot of people think these Web2 companies have. So that's kind of the narrative process of Web2. Just like Web2, the Fed and Web3 have their own respective narratives. The Fed has this very important narrative, probably the most one of the most important narratives in the world, unfortunately, or fortunately, however you want to look at it, where they have made themselves seemingly indispensable to the broader narrative of market go up. People oftentimes conflate market go up with the Fed printing money, whatever, with that meme that is inaccurate. <laughs> Web3 has a narrative that is meant to be an alternative to this very centralized system of central banking, but for right now, from a flow perspective, the two are definitely 
intimately intertwined. What the Fed does impacts crypto because the Fed impacts everything to a certain extent. So these are their stories. So the Federal Reserve, the Fed has, and I've talked a lot about that, and I've talked a lot about the Fed on this channel, but this is a story of the Federal Reserve. So the Fed has two main worries, price stability and maximum employment. Managing inflation, so price stability is a political hot potato. Midterms are coming up. People are like, what? We don't want inflation. We want people to vote for us. Fed, you better get it together. And so the Fed manages this dual mandate through monetary policy, open market operations, discount rate, etc. Basically, in order to expand the economy, they say, hey, banks, go lend. In order to contract, restrict, they say, hey, banks, chill out, don't lend any money. And that's monetary policy to a certain extent. And that works fine, and it works well until things don't work well, and they don't work fine. The problem with us is that we've not had normal monetary policy since pre-Great Financial Crisis. The Fed tried to normalize during 2016 to 2019, but things ended up getting really spooky during September 2019 because the repo market freaked out. The Fed swooped in. They were like, don't worry, we'll save you. And normalization stopped because the Fed, the repo market was like, enough. So the Fed had to stop everything. They stopped normalizing. And then COVID happened <laughs> March of 2020. And the Fed was literally a market floor during that time. They did everything they could. Came in guns a-blazing to provide support to the markets. Oil prices were negative. It was a bizarre time. I was sitting on a credit desk during that time listening in and it was crazy. Like it was just, you don't think that prices could go negative. And so the Fed swooped in, they fixed everything up and now they've probably fixed things a little bit too well because we have inflation, right? We have major inflation. They were very accommodative. Asset prices were like, oh yeah, we see you Fed and things went up, right? And the thing is that we're now in a sort of pandemic, but the numbers that the Fed has to worry about getting back to that dual mandate of price stability and maximum employment, they have to worry about what those numbers are doing. And right now they're saying, hey Fed, we're a little bit spicy. We're a little bit hot. We have CPI print on Wednesday and I'll be back to talk about that, but that's hot, right? Like inflation has been hot and unemployment was printed below 4% and that's really low. That's kind of like when you're like, all right, this labor market's pretty freaking tight and all markets are really spicy. And so the auto response that the Fed has to have when things look this quote unquote normal or this quote unquote hot really, is they have to tighten and taper. They have to lift off and run off. So they have to raise rates. They have to shrink the balance sheet. They have to do quantitative tightening, basically the opposite of what they did during March of 2020. So this gets into the idea of narrative interpretation. What happens if the Fed doesn't do quantitative tightening? What will the Fed do if we enter another recession? Like what tools do they have left? Inflation has become a political football. We have midterms coming up. We can't have inflation during midterms, but also we can't have a stock market that's going down. So the Fed is in between, to say the least, a rock and a hard place. If they don't respond, like a financial implosion could happen. But if they do respond, a financial implosion could happen. You just have these extreme takes on either side, but the Fed ultimately has to remain credible. People have to believe in the Fed or else none of this works. If people are like, okay, Fed, you're going to raise rates, like nobody cares. That is totally counterintuitive to any monetary policy working ever because part of the reason it works is because people believe it's going to happen. The Fed has not raised rates yet, but the market's like, don't worry, we'll price it in. You have to have an element of credibility, which is what the Fed is seeking right now. They probably will seek through quantitative tightening as maintaining that credibility. That's really the only way that their story works. And based on their December FOMC minutes, the Fed is saying, hey, we're going to be faster. We're going to raise rates in March and shrink that balance sheet right down. Like we're going to do it all. And the market's like, whoa, okay, you're 
pretty serious about that. Like, we see you now. Yields are responding. And to be fair, like I said a little bit earlier, the Fed has decided to normalize pretty quickly, moving from not raising rates in 2022 to, you know, potentially four rate hikes and a shrinking balance sheet. Real rates have risen substantially, which puts pressure on valuations, which also puts pressure on crypto assets because those are seen as risk assets by most institutional investors. Basically, the narrative is, you know, if you're a high flyer, it's a bad time when <laughs> rates are rising. And a portion of this is, like I said, Fed signaling, enabling reputation protection. March will be when the Fed likely raises rates. Shrinking balance sheet will probably happen in July. And this isn't 2019 anymore, so the Fed has a standing repo facility to prevent 2019 from happening. So it's kind of like full steam ahead if the Fed wants to do it, as long as the market doesn't freak out, as long as politics don't get in the way. And that's the narrative resistant aspect of this. The biggest question is, will it work? What if the Fed raising rates doesn't fix inflation? Because this inflation is primarily through supply chains. It's supply side inflation compounded by shutdowns, labor problems, outsized consumer demand, and raising rates isn't going to be clearing any ports. It's not going to be getting boats out into the water. So what if the labor market isn't really recovered and people can't actually get jobs and the Fed pushes a bunch of people out of the jobs market? And then the other side of that is what if we have deflation? We've got an aging population. People are not having babies. Tech could make a large portion. We've been saying this for years. Tech could make a large portion of labor obsolete one day. What if the neutral rates, the point where monetary policy is neutral, where it's neither accommodative or restrictive? What if we meet that point sooner than expected? Right now, it's expected to be two and a half percent, a little bit ways to go before we get there. But what if we meet that point, that neutral rate where monetary policy is neutral faster than expected? That could also create some friction on this whole equation because the Fed, the, because the Fed would have to high class. It's basically a giant experiment. There are countless other scenarios that you have to think about, even worse variants of COVID, events, vaccine mandates, putting pressure on the supply chain, consumers be BNPLing themselves into credit card debt, oil stockpiles, and the problem of spare capacity in the manufacturing sector not recovering. Like there's all these different things that you have to take into consideration. Honestly, I feel bad for kind of like simplifying the narrative down to inflation bad, do QT, but that's kind of like how you have to simplify it down to. There's a lot more nuance beyond that, but the Fed has become inflation firefighters just because inflation has become so politicized. It's not that they don't care about maximum employment and we are seeing improvements, but it's like, you know, we got to take care of this current situation of inflation because that's pretty political out there and uh, people don't like watching their food prices increase. So the Fed has to engage in quantitative tightening because inflation is here and if all of a sudden inflation isn't here and we'll see a little bit more on Wednesday uh, and the Fed's expecting inflation to go down to like two and a half percent at the end of next year so they're expecting this stuff to move pretty fast. If inflation kind of goes away the Fed has a little bit more room to not move as quickly but the, the, but the politicalization the politicalization inflation the politicalization of inflation, say that one three times fast, might be too loud for them to avoid because markets are political. It's balancing of different narratives. And this gets into the story of Web3. So Web3 is different than Web3. <laughs> there's a lot of people out there building Web3. And there's a lot of people out there building Web3. Amazing people who I think are so brilliant. And <laughs> there's an element of Web3 that's pumped up by influencers, pumped up by NFT shills. It's a lot of people see that part of it and then there's the other side of it where these really brilliant people are like here's how we can actually democratize access to wealth and unfortunately in all systems there's an element of calibration so you have a little bit of both and it's really pasta on the wall right now where everyone's trying out different things you're seeing things fail you're seeing things succeed and in the narrative creation of web3 there's the ethos of protect own benefit where those who have historically not been able to participate in the upside of different things now have the chance to benefit from that through tokenization 
conversation through new platforms, through new incentives. And that's permeated by this idea of collective effervescence, where it's like, oh, if you hold it, I'll hold it. And it's kind of this community gathering around these different crypto assets and are like, okay, you know, we're going to do this together. We're going to be a community together. And it allows those speculators to become users. <laughs> those who create on the platform, who actually make the platforms worthwhile, end up benefiting from the platform doing well. Like the Fed's dual mandate, the mandate of Web3 seems to be protected data, own data, and benefit from data. You maintain your own access and usage. You're the central authority of your data and you benefit from your data. So you make money on things. So it's really just about doling out the upside to everybody, which is good. Who doesn't want to benefit from the work that they do? As Barney Frank once said, government is simply the name of things that we choose to do together. There's a lot of nuance to that, but this the idea in Web3 is that there's a way for people to participate in the economics of the networks that we belong to and benefit from doing things together from the upside of things just as much as quote unquote big tech did. And then narrative interpretation. This is the problem. <laughs> uh, people see people buying pictures of monkeys for millions of dollars. NFTs are digital abstractions of value. Like it's a pointer to the asset. It's not the asset themselves. It's really about what it represents. But when you have people speculating on monkey pictures, it's just hard. It's just hard. <laughs> and you know, it's, 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 it's their prerogative, but it's just hard to be like, this is the future. And you got people, you know, gambling on board apes. It doesn't feel good because it's opulence. It's like, wow, I, you know, I'm struggling to meet rent every month and you're spending millions of dollars on a monkey picture. And I think that's what a lot of people feel and see is like, it's just like, this is gross. Unfortunately, that's what a lot of people see about Web3 rather than an industry that could potentially democratize wealth and access. The narrative of what Web3 could be, which could probably be net beneficial, I think for most people gets disrupted. It could be perceived as equitable and cooperative and, you know, accessible, but it's not because it's also web3 is like a big abstract like it's not really here yet it could be here one day it's like kind of here for appreciating the structure markets are calibrating so shit coins are calibration ponzi forks are calibration one could even argue that in tradfi gamestop was a calibration how far can markets go how far can you push this stuff how much will the market take this gets into narrative disruption so how much can the market take <laughs> several people have written pieces recently on their own experiences in web3 moxie marlin spike who is the founder of signal dove into web3 and has outlaid all his different thoughts on it he basically was like it's still inherently centralized it consolidates around platforms and the tech underlying it might not be as solid as people think it is but it's still like super cool so this is what he said looking at it through the lens of these small projects though i can easily see why so many people find the web3 ecosystem so neat i don't think it's on a trajectory to deliver us from centralized platforms i don't think it will fundamentally change our relationship to technology and i think the privacy story is already below par for the internet but i also understand why nerds like me are excited to build around it. Vitalik, who's the co-founder of Ethereum, wrote in response, Moxie's critiques in the second half of the post strike me as having a correct criticism of the current state of the ecosystem, but they are missing where the blockchain ecosystem is going. I see no technical reason why the future needs to look like the status quo today. Like, I hear you, Moxie, but one day, which is true, like, that's just everything in life. Like, I hear you, but one day, and he pointed out that people are building, there's active research around it, all these different things that are actually happening in the space that are enabling it to grow the way that users would expect it to. And so that's what the Fed does. That's what... <laughs> 
Web3 does. There's a lot of narrative of one day this is going to be the thing. I think there's like a broader problem with the narrative of society where we have this assetification of everything. There's a group suggesting that we tokenize litigation outcomes so you can bet on whether or not a court case is going to go well. Yikes, right? Like, ooh, it's a way for people to fund their court cases. I get it. Uh, I get it. Like, I get it. I get it that things are expensive. What? We don't need to speculate on everything, maybe. That's just society, though, right? Like, that is just the way that we are wired is we love to speculate. It's human nature. That is capital S society. And we get pretty frustrated by the current state of affairs, especially now where it's, you know, it's like, will I ever own a house? No. And often lotto is the only way out or it feels that way. You might as well gamble on shitcoins. You might as well gamble on AMC and GME. You might as well gamble on litigation outcomes because that's hope. That's the problem. The quote earlier from E.O. Wilson, we don't really know how to process our emotions, especially in the context of things like the future. Basically, we play games all the time. We're speculative creatures. We like to make bets. We like to seek social cohesion community and we also like cheat codes right <laughs> and the world feels increasingly tilted towards get rich get richer and you have to find cheat codes in order to kind of play catch up in crypto slash web 3 gme amc spacs those are all cheat codes those are all dollar sign fast money dollar sign you have to make your own games as ian banks wrote in the player of games all reality is a game physics at its most fundamental the very fabric of our universe results directly from the interaction of certain fairly simple results and chance the same description may be applied to the best most ele elegant and both intellectually and aesthetically satisfying games. One of the reasons that Stonks Go Burr narrative has stuck around for so long is because people feel like they're in a massive role-playing game. Gather your battalions, plan a bank run, maybe become a millionaire, even a billionaire. Why not play? But what RPG games fail to teach you is that there is no alpha and copy-paste. You can run around all you want, but there is not a lot of benefit to just doing what everybody else is doing. But you do get a little bit of hope, right? Because you kind of have a little bit of a community. What else is there? besides choosing to believe in something better and sometimes a shitcoin is something better things become ultimately a function of emotion and narrative and this is the story of the fed and web 3 so now the fed and web 3 are trying to convince people of a future that might exist so you should believe in it now because it might exist one day so the fed has been accommodative over the past couple of years which has enabled a lot of market go up once the fed pulls back and engages in restrictive monetary policy all of those free filling dollars will be a little bit freaked out we won't see as many dollars circulating around. That'll put pressure on risk assets, put pressure on their valuations. Institutional investors see crypto as a risk asset. That's going to suffer probably as well if this keeps on playing out as expected. It hasn't blossomed into that digital gold narrative yet. When the market becomes risk averse, risk assets logically suffer. So it will be interesting to see if the crypto narrative evolves into a place to preserve wealth and decouples from equities. So the bond market is already responding to what's going on. The realization that the Fed is serious this time, and that means that the stock market and crypto will have to catch up. A dry up of liquidity is pretty bad for most things. Investors have started to de-risk, limit exposure. But the question is, will the market keep on responding like this? Will the market be like, all right, we see you fed, but we still believe in these massive valuations, even though it puts pressure on the actual TCF models. Who knows, right? Who knows how the market will respond? It'll depend if it's early 2018 style or perhaps the lightning McTightning fed will result in even more of a risk off. So we will have to see. And then I think another important point here is the story of energy. Narrative is always disrupted by reality. So I spoke a lot about Kazakhstan last week on this channel. Those were a series of protests that were sparked by a price control lift on LPG. Those protests were a result of much more than that, right? So it was a result of the rich getting richer, of inequality 
equal access to opportunity, corruption, etc. But it was sparked by a small shift in energy access. And I don't think it's great to extrapolate from that, but I do think it could serve as a potential example and is important to pay attention to because we have tenuous energy access right now. We have an energy crisis in Europe. We have geopolitical relations that are not solid. And we have this relationship of natural gas to fertilizer to food prices. All of this stuff is interconnected. <laughs> Energy is kind of a base layer of how we do things. Like you need energy to produce food. Energy is the base of everything. And crypto, the proof of work consensus mechanism, which is what Bitcoin and Ethereum currently both use, relies on energy. You know, Kazakhstan, they shut down the internet. The hash rate on Bitcoin dropped 12%. You're only as decentralized as your access to the grid. And a lot of the inflation that we've experienced over the past year has begun because of energy prices, because oil, because underproduction, underinvestment, lack of spare capacity. And that gets up into the supply chain. Higher gas prices, higher production prices, higher prices for consumers. Everything reverts back to energy. And that's the disruptive variable for all narratives. So where do our stories meet? All right, where do our stories meet? What I've described throughout this piece is reflexivity. So narratives shaping reality, George Soros, our perceptions impacting fundamentals, distorted views can influence the situation to which they relate because false views lead to inappropriate actions. Because we live in a world where things like GME and AMC can happen, where they can go from bankrupt to the moon, where bored apes sell for millions. As Masari wrote of NFTs, attention is finite, the internet is vast, we're tribal creatures driven by mimetic desire. All we want is the thing that everyone else wants. <laughs> it's mimetics. <laughs> it might not be you, but it's human. As Morgan Housel wrote in his recent piece, the most important variable was the stories people told and the emotions they suddenly stumbled upon. In bear markets, narratives tend to get a bit blurry. Short-term thinking, which is already pretty short-term, tends to take hold even more. Maybe one day gets priced in a bit lower and actual cash flows get priced a little bit higher. When money dries up, the vision does need to be crystal clear. Memes cannot be the only thing dragging you along. And this is a great paper called Manias and Mimesis. They outlined how the meme here is startup, but it applies broadly, dies. The cycle of a startup might look like this. Somebody has a crazy idea. They oversell this idea to investors and the combination of investor money and talent makes the idea seem a little bit more achievable, but it's still a crazy idea. And then on that track record, they raise even more money and they hire even better people. And over time, either reality converges and the truth catches up to them or they continue to exaggerate and then they implode. So those are kind of like the two paths. You can either keep the meme going or you implode. There's no other option. Everything reaches a breaking point eventually. The Fed might be an accelerant to that as they bring more reality to the narrative going to go down. The Fed might skew the equilibrium, make it so prices have to show more of what is actually happening, which results in the feedback loop of fear, sell, sell more, fear more. Both the Fed and Web3 are trying to convince us of a future that might happen. Hope is really hard to value, and I think that is a floor on crypto slash Web3, the knowledge that the world can be better. It's very hard to assign valuation metrics to people who truly believe in a better future. The underlying narrative of hope is always going to be tarnished by reality. That's literally what growing up is, right? There's a great quote. The only hope is in the creation of alternative values, alternative realities. The only hope is in daring to redream one's place in the world, a beautiful act of imagination and a sustained act of self-becoming, which is to say that in some way or another, we breach and confound the accepted frontiers of things. I think that's what crypto is doing. Web3, it's breaching the frontiers of things. I think the space could be that. Will it be that? I'm not sure. If you have a bunch of very rich people who decide that this world is for them and not the rest of the world, that'll, I think, ruin a lot of different things. But if, the, if they decide, you know, equitable access, sure. 
I think the thesis is there. Those are my final thoughts. Yeah, I'm moving over the next week, so uh, I'm going to try my best to sort of remain on the loose schedule. Obviously, you can find me on TikTok, Instagram, on my Substack, and uh, Twitter. This piece is written on Substack, so if you want to go check that out, share, like, comment, subscribe. (laughs) Let me know your thoughts. I'd be really curious to hear what other people are kind of thinking of this Crypto Web 3 sustainability debate. Anyway, um, I will be back Wednesday, ideally, for the CPI print. But yeah, I'll talk to everybody soon. Bye.